Hello and welcome to Revenue Champions with me, Ryan Reisert. Today's episode is all about change in sales, specifically how do people, processes, and technology change when a company is scaling from Series C to IPO. You're going to hear specifically from a sales leader what the priorities were along that journey and how each of those play into each of the stages of growth along the way. You're going to want to take out a pen and pad. This one is packed full of nuggets. So welcome, everybody. We are super excited to uh, have a very, very special guest uh, near and dear to my heart, somebody who literally helped jumpstart my career, someone who's done the same for uh, probably thousands of reps uh, outside of San Francisco and across the entire globe, uh, <laughs> honestly, uh, the infamous uh, Mark Windling, who currently leads corporate sales at uh, Snowflake. And we're going to talk a bit about his journey from Series C to IPO. And, and what I'm excited about for today's conversation is that you should, if you're a leader, you're going to learn about some leadership. If you're a rep, you better take your pencil out, your pen out, however you take notes and start to learn how to engage some of these folks like Mark along the way. This is going to be jam-packed action interview. And it's near and dear to me because I haven't had a chance to talk with Mark like this for a long time. So Mark, welcome to Revenue Champions. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, uh, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So I want to, before we get into the Snowflake side, I wanted to have opportunity to just allow people to get a little bit of background on your journey up until Snowflake. <laughs> right? yeah. so you didn't just magically come in at Series C and be a part of the one of the hottest companies ever. Uh, it's still going there. You had some journey, but can you give some folks a little bit of a background? Who is Mark? Where'd you start? Um, up until Snowflake, and then we'll jump sure. into the exciting part of the yeah. I'll try to uh, keep it come somewhat short. Um, so uh, I was born and raised in, in France, and um, and at first, my uh, what I wanted to do for a living was either uh, being a professional pianist or a conductor. So I, music was my absolute goal. Eventually, I dropped out of like music studies and stuff, even though I, I was. I think I could have probably made a career out of that, but not necessarily something like outrageously shiny. And I, I love music too much to uh, to uh, not necessarily have uh, you know great success. And here's a here's some interesting story. When I was uh, 14 years old, um, my my parents kept sending me to English speaking countries for summer, and I was staying with a family in uh, Mississauga, Ontario, so close to Toronto, and. Uh, I, I wanted to practice my piano, but they did not have an instrument. And two miles away from their house was an amazing piano store. All they sold was Steinway's, Bosendorfer's, Yamaha, Grand, and all that stuff. And one day, a little shy, I got into this shop, knocked on the door, and asked, when you don't have customers, do you mind if I practice? <laughs> Go ahead. Your first cold call. My first cold call. My first cold call. So I, I go and practice in there. And then eventually I, I you know, became friends with the, the salesman, John Elliott. And uh, the guy says, hey, do you, uh, do you actually want to just help me sell piano occasionally? Like, sure. And, and I realized that even though it was a hundred grand transaction, we're talking about a hundred grand pianos that people would show up and, and buy. And for some of them that did not even like play music, because it was an interesting like uh, process. And I realized that I could play a ton of stuff differently on a different instrument and influence their decision process. Um, and that that made me realize like, wait, you can just like change people's minds like that just by doing something that is uh, somewhat linked to what they want to do. Okay, that's interesting. Mm. And I, I remembered that when it was time for me to again like say no to music and go to very very different paths was like well maybe i think i should go to sales you know i like influencing people i like just getting stuff done that may not be done if you don't push it so that's how i got into sales and eventually as i graduated in 98 from college you know i got straight into it um so i've been in sales since then which that explains the gray hair um i couldn't tell and- <laughs> but that was uh it's the light. It's great. Yeah, I thought that was the um, <laughs> and then and then so I had a first experience in a VAR. I didn't stay long because VAR is a very difficult job, and and it's it's about pushing to, so many products and and 
negotiating margin after the transaction is done pretty much var var for those the, who maybe the, didn't that, catch, catch yeah, that value added reseller value added reseller that's right yeah um and channel sales channel sales. channel sales and uh you know back in 98 uh dell was actually killing everyone else um so if you worked with the distribution channel traditional you would sell brands like, like ibm compact you know hp uh digital back then and it was both unix and nt platforms um but like dell was winning everyone i remember so, those commercials dude yeah. you're getting a dell did they have those over on your side uh, they when you were there? not in France, no. But uh, but use that word. What what would that what would that term be in French? Dude, you're getting a Dell. Do you remember that English commercial? Uh, I do, I do. But I'm I'm actually wondering if I don't I don't know if we would say uh, mech maybe mech means like dude. Uh, but I don't even know if that would be a kind of fun. I'm not sure about that. Uh, but it's like so I stayed there a year because like I realized it was it was a falling apart and it was not. I mean. People that I worked with, wonderful people, but they were all my age now, and I thought they were outrageously old. And uh, so it's I needed something different. Um, and I joined a recruitment firm called Michael Page uh, in 99. And that's how things started to hum. Um, even though, uh, so 99, 2000 were very good years. It was the you know pre-dot-com uh, bust. So it was the dot-com boom. It was very, very interesting. It was We had a ton of stuff to do. When things started to get a little hard, um, I used the fact that Michael Page was a British company uh, to transition over to the UK. Uh, it was the best decision in my life because that opened so many doors after that. Um, and from Page, I went to the company where you and I met, uh, Ryan, uh, eSearch Vision, it's called ESV Digital today. eSearch um, Vision. eSearch Vision, that's right. Yeah. Uh, that's how, that's how one of our founders pronounced it. So it's just so people understand why I just did, that, did say that. Uh, <laughs> the, so here, here's what the uh, the interesting part was. It's um, it was a, a SaaS product, and uh, you know, we were eSearch Vision was a, a marketing agency running uh, a search engine marketing campaigns and programs in France, but they had they developed their own technology and. You know, they wanted to push more of the SaaS product itself for margin perspective. Um, first in the UK, that's where I started. And then eventually from the UK, we signed a, a phenomenal contract with a very large um, you know, company in the US. And we realized we could not serve that, that contract from Europe. Like if we wanted to have proper customer support, we had, we had to move. Uh, so I moved over to the, uh, the US uh, you know, in 2007. Um, and it was a very, very bootstrapped company. The founders did not want to invest in growth. You know, the, what we had to solve for was uh, very early profitability. It was very French in the way of thinking, very French back then. I know right now you have at least a, a dozen unicorns on the French market. So now people are realizing that you need a lot more capital to actually fund growth. But back then it was, no, it, like profit, profit, profit. Um, so we were very cheap and that's why I hired Ryan. Uh, <laughs> oh, come on. You know, uh, how I got, I got to, I got to interrupt at this stage though. So, so <laughs> folks understand this, you know, it was 2008, the recession. I just got laid off from my first job because of the financial crisis. I was selling a home financial product. It was a company backed by AIG and I somehow got an interview with, with Mark like a week later and, um, uh, I go into this building. It's like this thin, right in the middle of San Francisco. It's the smallest, thinnest, cheapest looking building in San Francisco, but in the financial district. Boot, and it's bootstrapped. Bootstrapped. And I'm walking in, and uh, this elevator just looks super shanky. And sort of the stairs, I'm like, I'm right in the right place, et cetera. And this guy walks in, which was Mark. I didn't know at the time, obviously, for the interview. I'm sitting there, I'm sitting there. I ride the elevator up, and it's just like this door. And this, you know, Mark lets me in. I'm like, oh. And he's like, hey, are you, are you here for this interview? I was like, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm Ryan. He's like, okay. I look around and I didn't realize this now because they've been there for almost a year at this point. It was 2007. This was the same office or maybe we mm -hmm. just moved, Mark. But we just moved. Uh, okay, you did just move because it, it, there was still boxes everywhere and like tables <laughs> set up and like cords ran across the floor. Um, and anyway, that was my first experience of e-search vision. 
And uh, the funny thing is that office and exactly how it looked with the boxes and the cords didn't change for about three years. <laughs> we had we had a I mean we had we actually used uh, computer boxes to actually set up the meeting room and we called that one the Dale meeting room just so you know. and that that's how bad it was but again like even though we were bootstrapped and very very cheap uh, we grew to a point where the founders said hey how about we sell it and because I was able to speak both French and English so I knew the financials and I, I could partner with the French team I, I had the opportunity to lead the roadshow um and you know got a few bids on the table that were very very respectable but the founders decided to you know essentially punt because uh, they thought they could sell for more uh eventually they never sold so and, and after that episode I, I left because you know i put my name on on the hat to just like sell the business uh so my reputation was you know i, I had to just move on and do other things and at that time it's uh it was interesting because i did i did not I mean, I think I did not realize how much like of a marketeer uh, hat I was wearing. Um, so when I tried to actually join like uh, software houses because I, I thought I was primarily doing tech, um, didn't have a strong response. Um, so I had to um, I, I had to think about what type of company I would I would want to join in order to, to just like blend into the IT market in the U.S. And for me, the biggest uh, parameter was you know well-funded company that was targeting growth at all costs so a capital capital-based like growth uh, approach um and that's how and I, I know brian you actually helped me uh, get in touch with uh, jim benton you know yeah. uh I, I joined ClearSlide. uh ClearSlide was you know probably could have been what zoom is today uh it was an interesting venture it was a lot of great people that wanted to work super hard um, and so I, I stayed there for two years, it was intense, intense uh, outbound growth mode. Uh, and at ClearSlide, I had the, the, the opportunity of a lifetime to meet with uh, John McMahon. Because uh, uh, in my second year at ClearSlide, Carlos Dilatore had joined as uh, the head of enterprise and was leading SMB. Um, and he brought McMahon as an advisor and I met with John. And it's, it's the, the most like radical thing that uh, happened to me. Um, when I left ClearSlide, John helped me get to uh, Sumo Logic. It was my first like step into hardcore tech. Like Sumo is is log management. It's I, I hate to say that it's like kind of blue collar tech. It's like deep, deep, deep into you know technology and DevOps. And um, I built the uh, inside slash SMB motion for them. Uh, worked great. And uh, but at the end of the second year, I think you know what I had a. I, I became a little more pretentious and I thought I wanted to just go and run sales effort myself. Um, and I, and then I, that's when I joined Mindtickle as their first head of sales. Um, and it was a great adventure. And now we're getting to Snowflake, you know, that's uh, throughout the, the, you know, trying to sell to Snowflake uh, when I was at Mindtickle. That's when Chris Degnan, you know, called me and say, dude, um, I, uh, you know, I, I know you run sales right now, but here's here's my problem. I don't know how to run inside. I don't have an effing clue how to do that. Uh, are you interested? And I had Snowflake on my radar for a while. Obviously, never would have known that it would be that phenomenal success. But like, it felt hot and it felt different, especially throughout the interview process. Um, and that's when I joined. I mean, Degnan told me there was an inside sales team. He lied. It was like a 10 baby SDRs and three guys that, you know, when I first asked them about their forecast, didn't look at me like I was crazy. Uh, and here we go. Like, um, you know, five years later, this is a, a 200 people organization that drives a significant portion of Snowflake's revenue. Um, and a, a lot of people that have graduated up in the enterprise or even in the, in the verticals that you know the organization that covers the largest account um and all or in leadership at snowflake so I'm, i could not be more proud of what has been done in the last five years plus uh the sdr function that got split uh and uh, moved to marketing with Lars nielsen's leadership now uh that that transition happened two years ago you know add two extra hundred people running like you know sales campaigns here so it's it's a uh, you know started with 13 reps and now Combine organizations, one of them run by run by Lars, 
it's probably 400 kids that are learning how to uh, how to sell, which is absolutely fantastic and super gratifying for me. So the journey was like every step along the way from you thought you were going to be a musician, yeah. pianist. By the way, Mark's pretty good at, uh, <laughs> Thank you. at playing the piano. Uh, you learned to start selling pianos. You moved into <laughs> channel, kind of yeah. like, hey, how do I get involved in tech? It's not quite tech yet. Then recruiting, which I think is yeah. going to be fundamental to some of the things you have here, really learning right. how to find great talent. Yeah. Uh, stumbled into bootstrapped, which a lot of us yeah. end up doing to try to get going. It's, I mean, uh, this is bootstrap is MBA. You know, it's, it's an amazing thing. It's like when you, you, when you work for a bootstrap company, you know, it's when you don't know whose job it is, it's yours. Uh, you know, look, I was, if you remember, I was the IT admin for, you know, it's, uh, uh, I mean, I, I, I was the, you know, I know how to uh, run like an NT4 network with multiple locations and manage domain and all that stuff, which was not necessarily something I knew before I joined. So, yeah. You have to wear, well, you wore lots of hats, uh, lots of hats uh, within, within ESV. But the, the bootstrap experience, uh, then to like a true hyper growth, pretty well-funded growth at all costs, which you're looking yeah. for. Then finally into some hardcore tech, which really gave you the advantage of where you're at now. And then a little bit of a, a stint of another funded um, company. The interesting thing about this though, Mark, is like every step along the way, it's not just about experience, but it was like priming you for where you needed to be. And, um, you know, you can't just step into that role of Snowflake with that, without that adventure. And there's not that many people who have that unique lens. And so now I wanted to, to talk about now where we're at is uh, stages of growth, right? So you're yeah. into, you're into Spring, uh, Snowflake now. You come in at Series C. There's 13 reps. You grew it all the way to it's over 400 now. Right? But there's a path along the way, yeah. and you already experienced some of the earlier stage paths all the way yeah. up until that point. Like you just keep going through those gates. And thank you for sharing those backgrounds. But again, if you're a leader, you're gonna want to start to sharpen your pen a little bit, uh, or a rep, start to to hone in here because I'm gonna start diving into how Mark was able to take Snowflake from 13 reps to 200, um, and I mean, that's, that's only the SMB side, right? I mean, if you think yep. about Snowflake as a team, it's we probably well over a thousand people in the sales world today. Absolutely. Um, and so, I mean, this is this is prime time. And what we're talking about here too is, again, how do you keep th get into the minds of somebody who's gone through the earlier journeys? He thinks about these stages in a really interesting way, and now he's in here. He's in the seat, and I'm going to ask some questions around what this looks like, and we're going to look at. Each of these stages, and Mark, I asked him, "Hey, what is it ahead of time from C to IPO? What are the what are the gates? Right? We talked about a few of these along the way, but what are the gates that we're looking at?" And he defined these as the first one is vision. So these are stage definitions, exit criteria. So in order for us to get from stage one to the next stage, we got to get to the next one. So vision, and then growth at all cost, and then yield, then eventually to IPO. And so we're going to dive into each each one of these. And so we're going to start with vision. And Mark, when it comes to vision, first, can you define that a little bit? And then what we want to dig into here is the questions I'm going to ask about is people process technology. So what is it? And then when we think about people process and technology, this is that formula we tend to think about for success, right? In what order? And then uh, how does all that work? That's we're going to dive into it. And then the last thing we'll cover in each of these stages is our biggest learning. Like, what did you take away here um, as we progress? So First of all, could you define vision? What does that mean as a stage in this in this growth? Uh, that means journey? that you know, it's if you if you like translate that into the crossing the chasm, you know, it's like when you go and you still sell sell to early adopters or even innovators to a certain stage, right? Uh, but here here's what's going on there. Like you at Snowflake specifically, we were we started like pushing a data warehouse and trying to displace other data warehousing players. But if you think about the vision of the company itself was to solve companies' problems related to data. You know, it's much, much bigger. And somewhat when you are in vision stage, you are pushing a product that may not necessarily fulfill that vision 100% yet. So what you are pushing is something that is, you know, you selling the future. And it's, it's, it's hard because you need to be like a big believer of that. And at a, as a sales individual, you need people that are embracing what the company is, is here to solve. You know, it's not, 
just about people looking to get like to accelerators in their comp plan. It's really much more than that. And you're going to knock on a ton of doors with people looking at you. It's like, I don't care. I don't need that. I have, I have what I need. Um, and so it's, it's a, we, at that time we were led by Bob Moglia, um, who's an absolutely amazing visionary with regards to like product and, and, uh, putting things together. So he pushed us and he rallied us behind what Snowflake would become eventually. Um, and you know, you, you have to drink a lot of Kool-Aid to actually go in because you have a ton of people that are saying no. So it's the, the no's are like pretty brutal. Um, so, so just to double click into this a little bit, although no. we love that term from our old demo days, right? Uh, that and slice and dice our data. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, you're at Series C, and you're still talking about vision. At this time, yeah. there's 13 reps. How much? How much cash was raised at this time? I think it's like it's a hundreds, right? 150 million, something like this. Okay, was it? It was that money? Yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of traction. Mm. Traction to get there. Uh, you know, the vision had to be huge, right? Mm. But still, at this stage, and this is really important for some of the reps who might be interested in, hey, what kind of company do I get into at, at the right stage, and what kind of person am I? So. Lots of money in the bank, but still, as a salesperson, you're still out there, not necessarily getting easy wins, right? It's no. still a lot no. of no's. Um, and then ultimately, the product maybe isn't even there yet, right? You're saying vision. So when you yeah. say we're selling on what it would be, not what it is. And so yeah. even if we can get a conversation started, well, what we say and what might we might be able to deliver, there's some gray area. And this is always kind of a contingent thing. And so when we think about the... Uh, leadership side of this right now, Mark, that again, people process technologies. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things outside of just understanding that you have to have a little bit of thick skin, you got to be more of a hustler, but what are some of the things you're thinking about in the types of people and maybe some of the ch the top challenges that, that you're facing there uh, to really make sure that that's happening, right? I, I, you still have a revenue target, lots of money in the bank. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, Gro yeah, right. Growth, not at all cost, but vision still means growth, right? Yeah. I'll, I'll start with the, the thing that is consistent across the board, no matter what stage. Uh, you know, especially in a team like mine, where I hired prim primarily like early stage professionals, you know, I'm not hiring experience. I, I honestly could not care less about experience. You know, what I'm trying to find is the, the characteristics from a personality and drive perspective that are going to be key in order for that person to push. So the first thing, honestly, is, you know, how much grit, how much drive do they have? And it's even more important early stage in a business like this because of you know the, the, the pretty frequent no's that you're gonna have. But the second, I think the biggest characteristic for sales, if you wanna, if you wanna get big and good at sales, one of the things you have to work on is your memory. Because what we do in sales, you have, we are processing information all day long. And the bad sales reps talk for hours, the good sales reps talk to guide a conversation, but they pay more attention to what they receive versus what they send. And what you, what you receive, you have to process in the information, understand it. You have to potentially just like have, you know, a response, like it's pretty immediate, but if, even if it's not an immediate response, you're going to have to put that in a hot storage memory. So at some point throughout the sales process with that specific customer, you may pull an information you heard three weeks ago, put that in front and that could be a differentiator for the deal. So how you process the information, how you memorize it, and how you make it usable long-term, this is absolutely critical. And it's even more important in early stage because you are, you are looking for a unicorn that can do everything, not care much about how hard it is, but still be able to, again, like push the boundaries of what the company is able to go and what, where, where we are able to sell. Because you're also going to have to get people to understand, you know, how to define your ideal customer profile, because at that stage, you're still trying to be opportunistic. Truth mm -hmm. is, if you want to make your business repeatable, you need to know your ICP and you should not take, you know, people to that want to come to you. So inbounds is super important, especially for the larger companies, but for the smaller ones, you can't rely on inbound. You have to go out. Uh, you have to choose your customers because that's what's going to drive faster revenue growth. So, so we talk about the people here. You brought up something that a lot of, a lot of people talk about great. We want someone who's strong, but you said something that's very unique, just memory, mm -hmm. right? Be, being, um, the cognitive ability, right. Yeah. Uh, and somebody who can not just take 
words that are coming at them, but really understand what's happening. You got two of these and one of these. Um, that was really interesting. And then you transition a little bit into process here too, which is like, hey, we got to start to think about our process. You know, some of the things that we talk about here at Cognizant right now is the future of SDRs, which uh, the future of, of outbound in general um, is, is aligned with what you're talking about way back, but this was five years ago, right? So you got to understand your targeting. Um, you're talking about the need for outbound, but inbound and outbound, but early on, Outbound is, is probably more important at this stage, right? So yep. process, but being super targeted on these are probably our best customers. Anything else is kind of a distraction right now. That's right. Yep. And um, and that's huge because a lot of folks don't feel that way. Um, they they kind of want to take the leads early on. Um, and uh, and uh, that, that could be the death. And so how does that transition into the maybe tool set, right? Uh, yep. you, this is five years ago, so... You know, we've advanced a bit, but by then there was a lot of really good technology in the market. Yeah. How did you think about evaluating tech at this stage, right? Knowing what you need to do, right? You're trying to find great people. You're trying to find unicorns. That's actually a problem. Hey, again, SDRs, write this down, right? He's a sales leader. He's trying to find really good people that don't necessarily have the experience. So if you want to go to someone like Mark at this stage, <laughs> you just got some good nuggets here. Second piece is process oriented. How do I actually have a defined process and outbound oriented? Hey, they're not looking for someone who's here to take orders. They want someone who's going to go knock down doors and have some something between their ears, okay? But now what about the technology? So I want to I want to try to get in front of you at this stage. I'm thinking about these things. These are the problems I have. What kind of tools are you thinking about? How does somebody engage you? What was the evaluation process like at this stage? Well, I think, you know, at a company like that, a company that stage, very often the systems you find are the ones that the reps procured or use themselves. So most of them solve uh, an issue that is almost like a, an individual problem. So we had, we had a couple of, uh, of solutions <laughs> back then uh, that were okay to actually track activity. So, you know, you could see when emails were open and things like this, but here's, here's what I needed back then. I, I needed something that would be a lot more controllable at my level to understand what went out the frequency of it, making sure that we would control, you know, every single soft metric in terms of conversion. And, and there's something that I, I care deeply about is how you go outbound. And I'm, I mean, I'm you, all the hundreds of people that have been through that. They know I have very specific expectations on how to do it. And I cannot tolerate the team to actually go out. And it's not just because I know it works. It's also a branding effort. You know, what you, what you don't realize is, you know, how you come across as an organization when, when your prospecting engine or your follow-up engine for inbound, by the way, it's, it's true for both. When, when your engine is super professional, when your engine, you know, is somewhat rigid to a point that people eventually can, they know that if they are touched by one of your team members, they are, uh, you know, they are completely like they know exactly how things are going to go. Uh, the beauty of it is you create a brand and that brand specifically is going to be hyper positive for your business. So, again, like the idea is you build your, a brand for your product and you participate to how professional your company is perceived. Um, and I guarantee out there there's a, you know, I, I know it, it may sound fun, but stop sending pictures of cats when you don't have attention to of the person that is you're, you're sending an email to it's not going to work uh you know you can be hyper professional and and if you think about the not talking about the actual content but the mindset that you need to have when you go out and like that the first one very very important one you need to know why the company is going to be interested you need to know you're not here to have a company figure out why they should be interested in your thing so the mindset you need to have when you go out and like that is, I know we should talk. And so, if, if you start there, it's it's going to be it's going to make a massive difference to your your day to day. It's it's you know I, I always I always try to tell people how blessed I was, um, and still continue to be uh, having learned how to do all this before all this technology before all this yeah. like data. You, you did stuff, you did no. it manually, which is insane, yeah. but yeah. We had to research a website, you know, make sure that website actually spent, not only spent, but spent enough money, $50,000 a month in the middle of the recession. 
And once I had a re- the, the, the actual website, we'd have to go find a phone number, call, and ask who's in charge of something most people didn't even understand. Finally get a name. This whole process, and Mark was so – his visibility and control pieces. Mark is so particular about this stuff. Freak. And and, yeah. and I I wouldn't say it's a, it's a control freak, but it's I'm so blessed because everything that you taught me back then is has developed everything I do now, right? It's my whole – and you just hit something that it just reminded me like – I try to tell people about this all the time. Outbound creates inbound, and especially early on, and and, and it's, a, it's a branding effort. At eSearch Vision, again, bootstrap, we lived in a – we basically had a Roach Motel office in the middle of San Francisco, and we were competing against some of the, the most funded uh, companies that were getting acquired by Googles and Adobes of the world. We're competing in, in the final rounds with almost – all of those uh, and organizations. And we, we kicked ass. I mean, we did win so yep. many times against them, and they were afraid of us. You know, it was, it, was, uh, it, was, it was amazing. Because of this, visibility yeah. control, even back then without a lot of the technology, visibility control. And again, you guys got to write this stuff down. This is what he cares about at this stage. If he is a sales leader, what does he care about? He needs to see what's happening. He wants to have some control over that environment. Uh, and then outbound is so important to him right now. Again, uh, Write this down, uh, but but the, the the principles here about if you're a leader and you're allowing your uh, current team right now, one not to do outbound and not focusing on outbound, well you're gonna be in trouble, and uh, and then two, the how you the branding exercise here the the stuff that goes on with sequences and not picking up the phone and not not doing the things you know you have to do that are hard that are gonna get the nose, you're you're really doing yourself a disservice so. Um, in interest of time, Mark, because we have a couple more stages, I want to continue because yeah. we'll come back to these principles. Yeah, it's just huge. And so, so, what was the biggest learning at this stage? You know, you're evaluating some of these tools. You got the process to, but if you if you look back at this particular stage, was there anything you learned? Uh, now being a part of this new series C yeah. that was different from your initial journey. Uh, that, that you I think. That... I mean, I, I was. We are still blessed by the best marketing team on earth at Snowflake. And you know when I started, it, it was very, very much like, hey, you know, we're gonna we're gonna give you the business that you want to go after. And you know, as you know, I'm a little stubborn, and I said, eh, you know, I'm gonna go and do things my way a little bit. Uh, yeah. But I think what I learned is like we built a phenomenal partnership together. Because yes, of course, like uh, you know, the leads came in, and it was very important specifically for the SDR organization because the SDR, the the marketing team was able to warm up large logos and let us know because it was the very very premise of abm let us know when we should attack and when there was some traction it was great um but then on the on my other side of this planet the revenue generation side of my group you know what what i was able to convince the business to do is like don't rely on people that want to work with you go and find the best and because we we did that, what was the the difference is like we were still a high volume game, but the the, the companies we picked generated ninety percent of our revenue. So our revenue stream, because at first like nobody believed in the model, they, they, we thought we would be a, a town on the map, and now we're probably more than a state. Um, you know, it's it, which is pretty big if you think about it, um, and and all of that was was very much about driving, finding the ICP profile, uh, which I think at that stage, it's absolutely critical. Once you own your ICP, then every mostly good things can happen. That's the concept of market dominance. You make a list, you call the list, you follow up. Right. So, uh, and, and we'll keep going here because I'm just fired up. So next stage, Mark, growth at all costs. So what changes, we have the baseline, what, 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 any changes people process technology anything become more important is there any changes in the profile um is there more more built up here um no dramatic changes i think i think for me the the that stage was higher 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 and even more than today like you know does that impact like, i know you're a recruiting expert but does this start to impact like do you do you do you bring in so this is a cultural thing too do you do you slow down hiring uh, if you can't find the right people, or when you say at all costs, are you maybe doing a little bit more churn and burn? How do you no. think about this as a leader? I I I I I always push you know my leadership team like understaffed over deliver. I know it's it may sound a little harsh, but if you have people that are not going to make it, you're wasting your time. 
because on top of that, when you when you go through a high growth phase like that, you know one thing is a lot of your managers will be first time leaders that you promoted from within. Yep. And you know the the big mistake for managers because now you are creating a team where you have like management layers. The most managers spend the majority of their time with their bench. You know, people that are struggling or that take time. And guess what? If you think about Steve Kerr at the Warriors, you know, he's not spending the majority of his time with the Santa Cruz Warriors. He spends time with the Warriors, the Golden State Warriors. And he develops like everything about his top players. And his top players, by the way, if you think about when Kevin Durant joined the, the Warriors, you know, even top players have to adapt. Teams adapt, top players adapt. And you have to manage your top performers, stay very close to them, spend the majority of your time with them, and have you know all their talent and foundings cascade down. Um, so as you do that, you can't settle because if if you uh, and it, I think it's important also to fail fast. Unfortunately, when when you realize that a candidate um, you know, joining your company is not going to make it, you have to treat them outrageously respectfully and potentially help them find a better spot in a different business. Um, but be own and be accountable to the fact that if it didn't work out the right way, it may be because, you know, you made a mistake. And it's also part, again, getting back to the brand part, it's very important that you treat top and low performers very professionally. And when you exit someone, because sometimes you have to, especially at that stage, you're building your company reputation based on how you exit people. And it's very important. If, and you know that if you exit poorly, people will start knowing that and you will not be able to hire anymore. It's huge. It's, it's, it's a sensitivity thing here, right? Mm -hmm. So the fact, uh, the fact that you say growth at all costs, it's, you know, there's a, there's a little bit of a, well, if we got the right people in the first place, we can, we can rely on those folks that are going to be driven and get it done, yeah. even if we're understaffed, over delivered, but yeah. Uh, man, you can see that becomes such such a challenge. You see the glass doors of some companies that were on fire, and then this stage comes, and you know some of that cultural. So they call it culture, right? It gets yeah. it gets a little bit burned up. And it's it's, it's, sad. it's sad because on top of that, you have people that could potentially make it that you know like throw the towel because because they're not they're not treated the right way. It's not it's not that's not good. The following stage for us past uh, you know growth at all cost. Uh, was at a time when, um, so we changed CEOs, Frank Slootman joined. And for those of you who uh, haven't done it, I would highly encourage you to uh, go and, and buy his book, Amp It Up, because he explains a lot of what I'm going through right now for Snowflake. And when we go to yield, it's, it's uh, you know, it, it added the concept of unit economics. It added uh, concepts of efficiency. It was no longer higher at all costs for us. It was organized for a billion dollars revenue. Uh, you know, that's that, and you know, we, we obviously announced our, our earnings yesterday. That's something that we beat last year. So it was, you know, again, higher, go, higher, higher, higher. Yes, sure, you can continue hiring, but then how are you driving efficiency? And as a sales leader, the, one of the part, the, one of the, the metric that I started looking at eventually was productivity. Before we move into yield, because you're getting to productivity and yield, um, <laughs> uh, the, Again, I, I really want to help people understand the mindset of you right now. Problems, growth at a cost. So again, people still a big problem. The right people are huge. Well, I, I would call them well, an opportunity more than a problem, but yeah. Well, an opportunity, yes, absolutely. And and when we think about process, we're we're, we're really we're trying to hone that in, get really tight. Let's get back into technology, right? So a lot of people at this stage are going to come to you and promise, yes. "Hey, hire less people, get more productivity, growth at a cost." And and walk me through where your mindset was at this, especially at this stage, because you're yeah. really at the heart of the explosion yeah. of a sales tech ecosystem coming from the yeah. marketing background. Now you're in the sales tech background, which you were selling in that. Yeah. I just imagine, you know, the who's who's, what did that look like? How did you filter through the noise? Um, what was that process like? What did you find was most important? Um, and then, there, then we'll move into some of the old stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, I think for, from a product standpoint and the tool set was, hey, you know, it, it, at that time, I needed something almost tailored. So I needed, you know, I, I needed an ESV or eSearch Vision to sell to us. You know, someone who would make an effort and use Snowflake candidly as, as, a, as a market reference point. 
you know, that's, that's what I push for. I, and I know it's a little bit of a, you know, I mean, you can range a little bit, but here's, here's the deal. Like when you sell to a vendor, it's like you are, you know, you are going to sell to Snowflake. We are growing so fast. I need this from you. And what we are going to do together is you, I'm going to put your brand on the map. And it's a win-win deal. And, you know, and we did that with Apollo. Uh, you know, we had, you know, a few things here and there that, you know, in the yield phase, we had to change. But in that first growth at all costs, Apollo was the perfect player for us because they listened to us. They were engaged and they built a pretty remarkable product out, dedicated to outbound. Uh, which was which was pretty remarkable. Just out of curiosity, um, who was the person that started that conversation? <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a weird dude that comes from a uh, background called Ryan Riser. Yeah. Oh, someone who came in and uh, yeah, yeah. So someone who came in and listened <laughs> listened to you with two years. Uh, yeah. But what? Yeah. So you got the outbound tool set, and the thing that Apollo brought to the table was more of like an all-in-one. Right, yeah. it had the data, it had the sequencer, it had the workflow, it gave you the visibility and the control you're looking for. Mm -hmm. Just yeah. it was vital for you. It yeah. just happened to do that, and then there was the flexibility within the leadership team, yes. which was huge yeah. because huge. you know we we they formed a. I'm sure it evolved once I once I moved on, but we formed a very creative deal with you. We got creative, yeah. we sharpened yeah. the pencil, and we solved a lot of problems that you were looking for. Um, so again, if you're a sales rep trying to break into a company at that stage, uh, the things you're looking for, you got to have the two years and one mouth. You also have to have an organization that understands that when you're going after a company like this, you can't be so structured. You can't be, no, this is our thing. If leadership's not willing to be a little bit creative, you're gonna have a hard time winning those deals. Not too much. Um, so you don't disengage from your core focus, but yes, I mean, sure. you have to be focused. Yeah. No, I mean, you can't just do that for everybody, but yeah. you know, the right types of opportunities and and then getting into uh the next phase now of uh tool sets i guess there's like lots of things you're looking for someone to tailor you in there what's the what's that transition into yield now so we got growth at all cost yeah. yep. you got the people that are pretty good you got that nailed now you got your process yep. really good obviously you got most of the technology in place that is shifting now from growth at all costs though into yield yeah. yield being productivity as you mentioned productivity. earlier yeah. Um, but productivity and cost control, right? It's it's a, I mean, you know, controlling costs where, in my where group. Where are we is, at? Is, where are we at at this stage in terms of headcount and um, and revenue? At, and and was there more? I know we didn't talk about like the funding rounds because we were at C yeah. and then growth at all costs was maybe D where D uh, and then D, uh, and then yeah. and yield is coming in like D, right D. Yeah, toward, towards the end of that. Okay, so just again going back, making yeah. sure people are kind of seeing the triggers here. Uh, now, D&E, uh, yeah. yield. Lots of all the other yeah. stuff's in place now, but what are, what's important to you? What's the problems? What are you thinking about? How how does yield start to formulate? The unique vision I hear from you is that you're really already controlling this a little bit early on. Not When you mm. say growth at all costs, you're mm. not just like throwing bodies at the problem, which no. is probably no. helpful, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, especially for the reputation thing as well. But what are the things you start to think about at this stage? Uh, what shifts away from some of the other fundamentals that we talked about? Yeah, it's 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 uh, so if you think about as a sales leader, the very, very basic stuff you can influence is this the deal size, uh, deal velocity and ramp. Uh, you know, deal size, deal velocity for my group was, you know, we, we had a good grip on how to do things right because of our, our identified ICP. Uh, but I think the, the very large driver for me to actually influence to yield was ramp. Uh, you know, we had a we had a great, you know, uh, probably something that a lot of field sales team would like in terms of ramped productivity. But I had to just like focus double down on ramping productivity because the blend itself is what determines the efficiency of the organization. So it was very much about like, let's put things together so the team can be ramped consistently with higher results so you know it's like turning on your engine warm it up and make sure that you test how your engine can get close to overheat but not quite there uh so it's it's pushing people it's pushing how much they can do not not getting crazy in terms of number of hours you don't want people to lose their mind again i, I want people to be happy in their job otherwise it's, it's useless they're not going to stay um but so it was that, and uh, and I think it was also. I mean, my organization is very lean, and has always been. That's that's 
that's that's a part of my own approach. Um, so at least on a, from a cost perspective, we were not really, we didn't have necessarily much to save, right? It's always been, as you know, Ryan, you know, it's, it's all about efficiency. Uh, but so for us, the biggest thing was ramping productivity. And as we did that, we uh, influenced the results for Snowflake in, in an absolutely an unbelievable manner. What were some of the things that ha- like? What were some of the things that worked there? Again, let's get into this. Is it is it focusing more on people development, more training, yes. more coaching? Is it better process uh, updates, or were there any types of technologies that you might have found that helped with that? Where are you finding the most yield? Like, is it doubling down on training and development? Is there any type of process updates that are yep. dramatic at this stage, or or do you have any you know, magic technology that came in and just all just created productivity promises that we all see from marketing. Not not technology. It was it was um, and not necessarily refining the process. It was documenting things better. Um, so mm-hmm. it would essentially lead to reps not improvising not improvising at all. I'll give you a specific Ooh. example. I have a very talented rep who's now in the field, you know, so she joined uh, around that, like, you know, between between the hardcore growth and the yield phase. Uh, she then just got from, she, she was then promoted to a first line leadership level in my group, and then she's now in the field. And she was putting every single piece of energy in her job trying to be successful. But it was pretty obvious that the type of customers that she was developing relationships with were not necessarily the ones that would, like, explode. So that's when I put together things as simple as what we call the 4C process for P- pipeline generation or PG. And, you know, it was just like, you're going to follow everything. Oh, hold on. We need, to, we need to hear what the 4Cs are. 4Cs are. Hey, don't worry. Hello. So it, it just, uh, my, my brain functions like a motorcycle gearbox, so sequential. You can't go from two to six. You know, it's like one and then neutral, two, four, five, six. And that's, that's how my brain functions. I need to go one step at a time, one step forward. And so I, I, told, I told the teams, all right, you know that if you want to be successful, you need to identify a company that has high propensity to buy Snowflake in a certain fashion. So the first C is the company. Yep. The, second, the second C is the contact. Because as you know, you, know, you have your clear idea of how Snowflake is going to make a difference in why we should go after that business. You need to understand who you need to talk to. And in this case, it's part of the social media research, part of LinkedIn research, make sure that you try to understand what people care about. And as you are going to get in front of them, what you're going to do is project another customer success story from Snowflake. You know, you're not going to tell, hey, we know that people like you struggle. No, people don't want that. You know, we're going to tell them, hey, this company that I know you know, uh, did that with Snowflake. This is what they achieve. I would like to spend some time trying to verify if we can replicate that success with you. And when you when you are again, it's a very simple trick. But in this case, people have already projected into a, a better tomorrow because they understand this a positive business outcome that's achievable. And now they are potentially prepared to share with you what's not necessarily working well. So you are engaging in a conversation. So. As you are doing that, you, you so it's contact. And now the third C is communication, because this is you need to understand what's going to trigger the interest of that contact. And the four C, fourth is control. And control is starts when you are doing outbound or even like inbound control. Like it's having all the sequences that are set and followed to make sure that contact is maintained and, and the door is open. And by the way, that control is also very critical because as you are now entering into the phase that is running the sales cycle itself, you know, when you, in tech, you're probably doing a POV or a POC, depending on how you call that, you know, this is when you need to control it. As a, as a rep, you are the CEO of your own deal. Um, and this is, this is very important that you start that control in your head as early as in the PG process. So these four Cs, you know, that's the, the good part is, as it's overly simple and sequential, when you spend time on an account with a rep, you will also have an easier way to identify where the flaw is if for any reason their results is not good. 
you know so you have to you have to simplify and that's when i sliced and diced but i simplified everything i went to something that was super easy to follow in order for first line leaders that again were for the most of them first line leaders uh for first time leaders so first line and first time leaders these things were so simple that it was easier to put the finger on what was broken and as you do that you improve everything pretty dramatically and that's when our ramping productivity became honestly like pretty incredible i i it love this was a simplification I, I, I love these four c's um and clearly like you know so influenced by you and you you developed this it sounds like later on in, in, in sprinkler to really or snowflake i was my old sprinkler days snowflake um but but it's always been that way. Target companies sell to people. Mm -hmm. We talk about that, right? Target companies sell to people and it's the people not don't, don't waste time with the other wrong people. And then no. communication all starts with the conversation, yep. right? And more conversations means better outcomes. This is right back to our pillars that we're focused on here mm -hmm. at Cognizant now. And then the, this idea of control, uh, which a lot of people really shun away from, but that's about enablement and understanding mm -hmm. that if we have consistency in our process, Nothing slips through the cracks, but we also have consistent messaging, consistent yeah. cadence, consistent. And, and now all of a sudden, the the unit economics, uh, the math, right, of what's happening, the productivity is important. So you just you define that along the way, and now that's the yield comes. So we're running a little bit tight here, uh, Mark. I want to get into IPO now, right? So we yeah. are now at IPO. Yeah. Um, what's that like? What is it like? <laughs> what is it like to hit the ring the bell? You did it, and I know you've been after this for so long. You worked your uh, at, you worked your my seventh attempt, yeah, the seventh start. You worked your tail off. <laughs> yeah, you worked your tail um, off. You but, made you it. Know, uh, yeah, well, I, mean, I didn't. I mean, it's always a, there's always a way to actually do more, and, and I, you know, I I can't stop. It's uh, but it's uh, I think I think the the biggest change is this: like now you can't fail. You absolutely can't fail. Like. Even as a private company, the, the story of Snowflake was that you can't fail. But now you're like, the street is watching you. Um, so you have to essentially become a mailman and deliver every day. Uh, you know, <laughs> rain or shine or snow. Like it's, uh, it's I love you know. You so it's not easier. Out. There's even more pressure now. There's more even pressure. more. Well, I mean, you have earnings reports, right? If you miss, yeah. you're probably axed That's right. uh, yeah. at this stage. And so then, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's you know, being being in a sales leadership position is you're the first one to go. Things are hard. It may may not be the the right thing to do for the company, but it it's it's obvious that you know you are you are an easy target. There's not that many. I I was trying to look at this. There's not that many people who have led the corporate sales inside sales from all of these stages through IPO have lasted mm -hmm. this long. The, t the average tenure for a, a VP of sales in most companies like eighteen months. Mark's been here for five years. So um, at this stage now, and I know we only have a few minutes and I wanted to open up for, I don't know if you, you were able to go a little bit longer for open, open yeah, name, Mark, if not, but um, just last stage here, cause it's current state and, and maybe someone want to get in front of you. What is top of mind outside of deliverable? Obviously you have to deliver, but what are the things that are most important to you these days? Uh, hmm. You know, it's IPO, of course it's earnings, but what are the, um, the things that might keep you up at night or, those drivers, because there's not really, I guess, a next level outside of just go and dominate the market. But yeah. uh, for you, what am I thinking about if I'm a rep or if I'm a leader trying to think about this stuff? How do I how do I get here? Well, I, I'll start with my own personal mindset. You know, Snowflake is probably the fastest growing publicly traded company in America today. Um, and I want my team to grow faster than Snowflake every day. Uh, you know, that's something. And I, and I, God knows I push my team hard, uh, you know, with that mindset in mind like let's go we're gonna we're gonna grow faster than snowflake no matter what and that means we are going to do things better every day we're going to improve our processes and refine it better every day we're going to just like push the boundaries of professionalism you know every day uh that's that's the you know just and and always with with never forgetting about the fundamentals right everything i described the four c's you know our processes the outbound and you know the the brand awareness that is driven out of like an outbound PG process and how you position, how, how you talk to customers. You can't get derailed from that. Um, I think what keeps me up at night is I, I want to always be able to go and look at, you know, because a lot of the success I, I have, uh, I owe 
great tool. So to Chris Degnan, my boss, and that had, and he's given me an incredible amount of freedom to run things uh, in the way I believed was the right the right way. Um, so I owe him a ton. Um, but like, guess what? I want to be able to look at him in the eyes every day. Like, you know what? We have we are dominating our market. We winning, uh, and this is why. And but you know you know what? We need to continue doing more, and this is how we're going to do it. Um, I guess it's it's a it's a permanent like you know machine, um, and also for me I get probably most of what I feel is gratifying by seeing careers grow. You know I have I have uh, so many of a uh, you know and it's funny that even like recently one of my uh, an SDR I hired years ago uh, you know called me on Sunday afternoon and was like, oh, I, I have a I have an offer sorry I, I should have reached out to you before I'd like to get your feedback on you know. Is it good or not? Like I called him back and we talked and I think he's expecting his contract tomorrow. Uh, you know, that's, that's, that's what makes me like feel happy. It's a, I, I want the team. I, I, if you are in my team for a second, once in my team, forever in my team. That's very true. Uh, even if you butt heads, <laughs> Mark and I were not always so, uh, <laughs> Oh, he's so cordial with one another, and we spent yeah, a long time together uh, uh, growing a pretty fast growth bootstrap, bootstrap company together. Mark, I, uh, there's some there's some questions flowing in here. I did a terrible job of managing calendars, but your story is so powerful, and there's just so much to try to get in here. Thank you so much for. Uh, I don't know. This was this was awesome, at least for me. And I'm hoping people got what I was hoping to get out of this from this. There's there's some questions coming in here. Um, do you mind answering a couple right now? I don't really have no, no, please. Left. It's, it's fine. Let's go. Let's go for it. So, um, the first one, which I think is pretty key here is, uh, how did you get manager level buy-in when it comes to implementing the variables that are required to structure prospecting? So this control variable here, right? I mean, you're the leader, but you obviously have layers at this stage. Um, <laughs> I guess the question. Well, I'm a stubborn leader. So I get things done a certain way, uh, but I think it's it's a the, I think the the most part is this like getting manager buy-in is is uh is showing it works, and I, I think I've always led by example, uh, showing that I'm able to do stuff, and I also um, involve people. You know, when we build these, I involve the leadership team in how we're going to do it, and the how we're going to do it is not necessarily something that you build in your own silo. It's something thing that you talk to prospects and customers with and I, I i know you may say it may sound surprising but as as people were onboarded early on at snowflake for my group i would stay in touch with these customers making sure that we would you know essentially deliver what we sold um and eventually i would always stay in touch with them to think hey you know in terms of messaging you know i want to hear things from you so i'm not selling my own jargon you know, I say things that matter to you, and I would involve the managers for that. Um, and when they hear that from customers, because they don't want them to hear that from me, you know, when they heard that from customers and prospects or people that said no at first, I would reach out and say, you know, I'm not going to try to push, but I want to understand why our message did not resonate. Tell me. Uh, you know, because again, like there's nothing worse than a communication that's built, you know, looking at yourself, right? You can't be self-centered and you can't focus on your own jargon. If, if, uh, because otherwise, if you focus on your own jargon, you're going to be put in the box and people will perceive you in a way that may not necessarily be true to your firm. I hope leaders are listening to that one right there. Obviously, there was a question that's designed for that leadership to, you know, management to the front lines. It gets so lost, especially when you talk about control. And this is the debate about scripts not working and sequences without control and SDRs don't have their availability to you know, write their own copy and things like that. There's a debate out there, but the reality is the reason why that doesn't work for a lot of organizations is because that feedback loop isn't there. You don't have someone coming down and saying, Hey, what's happening. And it's not my opinion as the leader. It's not Mark's opinion. Yeah. It's the customer's perspective here all the way back to the way that Mark looks at this from a brand perspective. And that feedback is so valuable along the way. Um, it's incredible, right? When you start to speak your customer's language, well, mm. now you're having real conversation. Mm. Uh, that's huge. Um, another one is, and maybe we'll just do one more here, Mark, because we are tight on time. And if there is still come in, we can maybe do a follow-on, um, maybe sure. get Mark to answer a couple on 
uh, via like some video uh, recordings at some point, but no promises there. Last one. I like this. From an enablement perspective, what did you, uh, what did they do to support the sales organization to help drive your four C's? So sales enablement is another one of those hot topics, right? It's a new mm -hmm. thing. Um, sometimes you know, you're, you're a big proponent of building relationships here, but how do they support your enablement um, with the four C's here? Well, I think it's important for a sales leader to just tell the enablement what they need and what they need, not necessarily on the how it's going to be provided and delivered. It's what they need in terms of execution. Because I think very often the, the mistake with enablement is that, you know, the, the end destination isn't set. So the enablement is around like things that are in theory helpful. But at the end of the day, like when you have spoken to customers, when you have a strong point of view on how to do things, then you need to just like reverse back to, you know, okay, let's actually understand how many, all these steps, how are they going to be done? And then you need to partner with enablement because these are the pros of delivering the message. And these are the pros of evaluating whether that message went through. But I think for me, it's important that I am in control of my sales process, but I use enablement to make sure that people understand how to do it and they gain, they get to that stage as fast as possible using, you know, the mind tickles of the world and other stuff. But you know, what I own is very much like how it's going to be done. If I don't have a point of view there, I don't know what I do in sales leadership. Um, it's, it's, it's very, very important. So how we did it, like we, again, reverse engineer, okay, how, how do we, you know, enablement, you are the, the learning the L and D pro. How do you think people will learn that as fast as possible? Um, so I'm empowered them to build how things would be learned and, and taught. Um, but I think it was very important to me to, to own the end result. Um, cause at the end of the day, it's my number. So one thing that I think we miss a little bit on that, that just touches on this and it's why you care so much about people and, and why you, you, you say it's control, but it's more about, it is more about enablement, but we share something in common a little bit. Like your parents are teachers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, your parents are teachers. I was supposed to be a teacher, and you you can tell Mark is a consummate teacher. Like a, he's just a incredible, <laughs> not just leader but teacher. And um, that's the part here because you you know it's not about it's it's not about um, you you establish these boundaries and yet you're enabling this 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 vision that you have, but you allow yeah. people to play in those rules. And it's really hard. I think for people to get until they had the experience, if anyone ever does have a chance to work for Mark, yeah. I highly encourage it. So if he's still I, growing I, his team. I would want gotta, to wrap up with something like it's, yeah. it's a, so the, the, I'm, I'm a big, big rugby fan. And, uh, you know, even though I'm, I'm a, a proud U S citizen today, I was born and raised in France and I still support the French team. Uh, and as of, you know, the, these current weeks, the, the six nation is going on. This is the, the biggest tournament, the rugby tournament in the world. Um, and so, if you think about the French coach, you know, the French coach that took over the team two years ago, you know, France was not doing well at that time, despite the fact that we have, you know, thousands of players, you know, we just, we officially did hide behind the fact that our talent pool was maybe not that good at, in that generation, which was not true. The coaching was the problem. And what, uh, what Fabien Galtier actually has put together is this. He raised the intensity of practice because guess what? If during practice, you are doing things that are much harder than in real life, when you hit that in real life, it's going to be easy, simple thing. So you raise that intensity. So now the French players have I mean, an amazing endurance and they are able to you know, fight for the highest intensity game, you know, with absolutely no, almost no interruption of like power. The second thing he did, he built a framework where this roughly 35 to 40% of it that cannot be improvised. It's what he believes in. Like you do that. And if you don't follow that playbook, you're out. You're not going to play next Saturday. But if you think about it, that's only 40%. 60% is about the creativity of the player. And you are then giving them the opportunity to be the genius and talented players they are. And now, hopefully, you know, upon wood, France will win the Six Nation this year, potentially with a Grand Slam. That would be phenomenal. But if you look at the, the almost the same players from two seasons ago to now, it's 
it it made them think in a very rigid fashion for fundamentals, which is very important, but then enable them to become super creative and be so confident because the fundamentals are strong. It gives them confidence to do things creatively for what is very visible. Um, and I, I get um, a lot of learnings from sports coach, you know, for different sports, but I think that what I've witnessed there in the last two years made me think differently, you know, just in, increase intensity of practice, make sure that you give strong fundamentals, but not complete control and then enable creativity of your team and guaranteed no matter what stage you are at, your team will, you know, will hum by the time you implement that. I love that. Uh, having played rugby for a few years, uh, it is truly the ultimate team sport. Some people like to say soccer is, but I think I mean rugby even has more players on the pitch, um, and uh, everyone plays uh, a role. And everyone plays a role at all times. It's 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 actually a pretty intense uh, situation. And uh, uh, the fact that you can have the most talented team in the planet and still lose it comes up in sport over and over and over again. But you, but on the flip side, you might not have the most talented team in the world, but if you have the most talented coach, you see these miracles happen. Um, and that's, that's leadership, uh, one-on-one. And, and again, having been a part of, I guess I was the very first, very uh, first SDR, very, very first in SDR yeah. ever in the U S under Mark's yeah. leadership. Um, very, very honored to have been able to serve under you and, um, the impact you've had on my career. Uh, is I, I just just going through this today? It's like holy crap! I, you know, these are things that just are ingrained. That forty percent mark is it's ingrained in my head, and that's all thanks to you. And um, again, I appreciate all your time today, everyone who tuned in. Thank you for for joining us. If you all have additional questions, uh, please don't hesitate to reach out. I'll see if I might be able to sneak some more time for Mark at some point in the future to get some of these answers question uh, these questions answered. But Mark, thank you so much for your time today. Of course, it was great. Thank you very much for having me.